Your old pal, the Crypt Keeper. Tonight's tale of terror comes from the Trick or Treaters podcast. Join them as they journey into the horrifying unknown. <laughs> you are listening to the Trick or Treaters podcast, part of the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Movie reviews, horror news, and all the gory details. Listen if you dare. And hello everyone and welcome to episode 18 of the Trick or Treaters podcast. I am your host Kyle and as always I'm joined by my wonderful co-host JR. JR, how are you doing today buddy? I am doing wonderful um, as we were recording on January 10th, 2021. Just got done with watching foosball. It's playoff season so I'm excited about that and You'll get a chance to talk about one of my uh, favorite horror films that I remember watching as a kid. It's a good movie. It, it, it's a good movie by all means, but like, let's be real. We all know the real reason why this is a favorite uh, for us. <laughs> it's, you know, still to this day, a lot of people talk about, you know, why this, this iconic scene that we'll get to when, you know, when we go through the review. Yeah. But yeah, you know, this, this is one of the, uh, a scene in this film that will that lasts forever for um, men everywhere. And oh we yeah. Leave that that till we get to it. Yeah, that we're you know, of course you know we're talking about the lovely, beautiful, freaking goddess that is Selma Hayek. Yes, and you know, <laughs> and this time she also was. Um, I can't remember if she had did Desperado before this or after this. Yeah, but she was, you know, she was a, and still to this day is, um, a very yeah. popular um, slash hot commodity in the entertainment, you know, especially working with Robert Rodriguez um, and yeah. Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I was gonna bring that up, man, because like even like looking at like even if you see her today, it's like she still looks as beautiful as she did in this movie. <laughs> Oh, 100%. I mean, it's, you know, this movie, um, as for those who know, we haven't said it yet, but we are reviewing From Dust Till Dawn. It came out on January 17th, 1996. So when this drops, it will be two days short of exactly 25 years to the day that this movie was released in theaters. And so that would be Sama Hag was 20 i don't think i'm gonna have my math right i want to say 29 when this film dropped and you know she's still stunning she we'd seen her in um in other roles you know in the last few years such as um bliss the hitman's bodyguard uh grown-ups here comes the boom so she's been in um in a, a few you know a lot of movies still to this day but around this time um, from Dust Till came out '96, right? The year before, and I was right. Uh, Desperado had came out the year before, so between Desperado, you know, and everything coming forward, and from Dust Till Dawn, she she was really becoming popular. After this, she did movies like Bold Rush In, '54, 
um, Wild Wild West, and then a lot of other films. Traffic is another popular one. Now they think that was one of the common things in this film was that it seemed that there was a few stars that got their kind of big break because of this, or that this was something that put them on the map. Um, the main character, played by George Clooney, uh, Seth Gecko, the actor, but George Clooney, this was his first breakout role. You know, he was known as being the doctor on ER, but this was his first big breakout role as an actor. After this, the following year, he did uh, The Peacemaker. He did One Fight Day. He also did Batman and Robin, um, replacing Val Kilmer as Bruce Wayne. But this was the movie that got him that jumpstart in uh, in cinema away from television. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you made a good point that this is definitely like one of his breakout roles and what got him started in all those other good movies. Uh, I believe you mentioned a, a, a Batman and Robin movie. I don't remember that one. Uh, so it's all just. Uh, I'll just pretend. Batman, that. You know, so after uh, Batman Forever came Batman and Robin, starred George Clooney and Alicia Silverstone. I, I and don't. Then, yeah. uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I, I, I got to be honest, like you know, I'm a huge Batman fan. I'm looking at my. I don't seem to have that one or recall that one. Oh, that was that was the movie that essentially put Batman on hiatus because Joel Schumacher went even more over the top from Batman Forever. Um, that was with Val Kilmer. And then, you know, that was the first one he directed to go from Tim Burton. And then Joel Schumacher did Batman and Robin, which was uh, George, um, George Clooney was Batman. And then Chris Donaldson, I think his name, or Chris McDonald, something like that, was Robin. Alicia Silverstone, who just came off from doing Clueless, was Batgirl or Batwoman. They had Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze, Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy. They had Bane and... The movie did pretty did well at the box office. It was panned horribly, and this that was the movie that put Batman on hiatus because after that they were supposed to come out. Uh, Joel Schumacher was supposed to direct another Batman. Pretty much everybody had signed on for the next sequel, Batman, that was supposed to star um, this. I believe the Scarecrow, Harley Quinn was supposed to be a debut. I think there was supposed to be. I don't know if it was flashbacks. Um, but the Joker was supposed to come back as hallucination. So, yeah, Batman and Robin, 1997, that's when it came out. Um, it was not, it literally put Batman on the shelf until Christian Bells came in Batman Begins, which I believe came approximately eight years later in 2004, I believe. <laughs> and, you know, there, there's a reason I don't recall that one. <laughs> You know, it's um, like I said, he went very over the top more. Joel Schumacher did in that one yeah. compared to you know, if you if you saw where he went with you know Batman Forever, and obviously we're here to talk about Dustin Donbones, quick tangent yeah. for how you know he went complete campy, I would say corny, very comicky, um, with Batman Forever compared to Tim Burton's darker you know vision that he was with um Batman Returns and the original Batman. Well, he took it up an extra couple of notches with Batman and Robin, and like I said, the, it technically made money, but it didn't do what people thought it was going to do. It put it on the shelf because of it, and and that's what it was, but a lot of people don't see it very favorably. Like I said, the things that I enjoyed out of it, I thought George, 
mentioned that one, George Clooney did a good job as Bruce Wayne. I don't think he'd do a good job as Batman. Um, Chris O'Donnell was great as Robin. It was tough to see Alicia Silverstone as Batgirl. And Uma Thurman was pretty decent as Poison Ivy. But you, it was very hard to believe the Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze, especially when you've seen him like as a Terminator. And um, It was just wasn't good. That movie got so many Razzie Awards, it was not even funny. Yeah, uh, yeah. See, Batman Forever uh, is is like a guilty pleasure movie. I, I can find enjoyment out of it, but Batman and Robin, I pretend doesn't exist. And it's like it's all because of just everything. Everything about the movie is just fucking terrible. I just like, read, there's uh, just, yeah. There's just so many horrible puns throughout, and just awful awful stuff but like the thing that just pisses me off the most is when they literally have everybody there to do stuff that is canon and then they don't like a batgirl in the movie is alfred's niece even though commissioner gordon doesn't in fact exist and is in the movie and so it's like what what the fuck that makes no sense (laughs) the um i actually just read that According, there was a list, and it was called the 100 Stinkers uh, of the 20th Century, and Batman and Robin was ranked as the third worst film of the 20th century. And, yeah, it was not, like I said, it wasn't favorably received. And um, film, I believe, was supposed to be called, the follow-up was called Batman Unchained. I believe that was the follow-up, and it was supposed to come out around 1999. And uh, like I said, that was the one that was put on the shelf until, you know, the Batman Begins came out with Christian Bell in the, I believe it was 2004 when that one came out, but yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's bad. But, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, this isn't the uh, shit on Batman and Robin podcast (laughs) because I could definitely do that. Uh, it's a fun to go down 90s movies because that was the yeah. year that, you know, that was my decade. I was, I'm a 90s kid, so. Yeah, same here. So, like, uh, yeah, I talked to you earlier about it, but, like, uh, I don't know, just, there hasn't been much news. I guess it's just kind of slow, a slow month uh, for horror. Uh, so, like before we get into it, uh, I guess, uh, have you seen any, uh, have you watched any any good horror movies lately besides uh, stuff for the podcast or anything you know i've been i haven't seen anything recently just because this is the time where like i said i was you know busy with uh, watching professional sports and you know as obviously everybody knows you and i are wrestling fans so it's been uh tough getting some in and there just hasn't been anything that obviously and i hate saying it because i feel like we say it at least twice every episode but the pandemic put all of our movies on the shelf that we were expecting from 2020. So when you go on either Vudu or Amazon uh, Prime to find like, is there any new movies coming out? There wasn't really, um, there's not, there hasn't been anything that has come out that really interests me. I I'm hoping sometime soon um, the movies we're expecting in 2020 between HBO Max and some of the other deals they'll start dropping in the near future. Yeah. I highly recommend uh 
to anybody listening who who hadn't picked it up yet uh for, for, even for the, the the price it's like $15 a month but HBO Max has an amazing selection like uh, I got it I got it the other day and I was scrolling through there and I was just like man I I may have to like drop some of my other subscriptions just because there's just so much better stuff on here no I mean absolutely I mean with HBO Max what they were able to do with you know you have their HBO library essentially you know they have the rights to but then they start adding the DC you know stuff and i had just got done binge watching um the first two seasons of titans um, yeah i still gotta do season two I, i'm i'm done with season one I, I gotta start season two but man titans i can't even tell you how amazing that show is for anybody who hadn't checked it out like if if you're one of the people who like put off not watching Titans or wrote off Titans because of the controversy of like how, how the characters looked and and how some of their clothes were and, and stuff and didn't give it a chance. I highly recommend you go back and give it a chance because Titans is amazing. No, I think one of the things for me with, uh, I, I had this discussion, I mean, and we're going off with, um, you know, DC versus Marvel and DC, I always felt was the bigger name. You know, until 2009 or 2008, somewhere around there, when Iron Man was dropped by Marvel, and it really, like, I feel took over, like, that comic book. And I really became, like, very heavily pro-Marvel, because after the Dark Knight trilogy, essentially, I felt DC did a really, you know, bad, you know, wasn't really doing anything. So I completely just was like, I'm not going to watch Titans. Like, I'm not big into DC. They've done a really horrible job, in my opinion. And then... um I do like the kind of like the the comicy campy um, CW shows of Flash and Arrow, but with yeah. the one that came out Titans, I was just like I I just didn't think I was gonna watch it, and then because I think it also was on DC the DC Universe, which was like that's the last thing I needed another subscription yeah, service. Yeah, I don't even know if DC Universe is even still a thing. I think it flopped. Yeah, I think that's that's the reason why everything moved over is because they killed it off. Um, the DC Universe, which it, that was another streaming service that Titans and there there was the Harley Quinn uh, show, uh, animated show, and there was also Doom Patrol, which Doom Patrol yeah. is also one that was playing. But the thing I like yeah, about it, Titans was it yeah, was very gritty. Doom Patrol. That you know, with the Titans was very gritty, and it was like very you know, to me, it took in those elements of kind of like the darkness that kind of resembles the Batman um, element that you come to expect, you know, kind of similar to Dark Knight. So it stars Robin, but it's kind of a mix between like older Teen Titans, like, you know, an older Robin, older Wonder Girl, and um, older Hawk and Dove, and a younger uh, version of Raven, uh, Beast Boy. And I'm, and I'm trying to remember if there's some, some other people are skipping my mind. But yeah, that was I just thought the the way that the characters were, and I thought that the interesting dynamic, it was like the old, you know, the old and new coming together. I thought did a great job, and especially with um, dealing with Raven's father, like that whole storyline, and yeah. then also the um, they the second season has Deathstroke, which I thought was also very good. So I highly recommend it for everybody. Like I said, HBO Max just has a plethora. I mean, they have South Park, they have Big Bang Theory. They have um, they have Fresh Prince of Bel Air, you know, especially as a '90 kid. They had they just shot the Batman um, 
animated series. I mean, so if you're a nineties, if you're a nineties person, like between Fresh Prince of Bel Air and and the Batman animated series, oh my god, South Park, that was that's amazing as it is. And then you add they got yep. friends as well. Um and also if you're an older, you know, for me, I'm these these are some of the shows wasn't this was my parents like they had the rest the rest wing for example so if you're you know if you're into that type of stuff then now all you know all of the hbo you know famous shows like sopranos and game of thrones so it is definitely worth it and then as i have this up as i'm looking at it i just forgot starting with wonder woman 1984 which is leaving hbo max i think in the next 10 days and by the time this drops probably within seven days wonder woman 1984 is leaving but then every month we're going to get the uh, Warner Brothers drops. Movies like God- Godzilla vs. King Kong, The Next Suicide Squad, The Conjuring, uh, The Next Matrix. So there's going to be a lot of things that are coming in the next year. So if you don't have HBO Max for $15, you can't beat the price. Yep. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great service. And uh, HBO Max, please sponsor us if you're listening. Yeah, not a subscribe, not a sponsor, but please do. <laughs> but yeah, how yeah, y'all can't put over how great HBO Max is, and like um, uh, I'm glad you mentioned on the Titans characters, dude. I, I wish they would do a spinoff of uh of Hawk and uh, uh what's this uh what's her name uh Dove Dove yeah Hawk and Dove Hawk and Dove was like easily my two favorite, and th- that little episode they had where it was just film, I, I love that episode. Well, that was the, the great thing, too, is that as the story develops, you also get um, one of the issues I had, like if you people are familiar with the CW series Arrow, was you had current time or present time and you had, you know, past time. Yeah. So you kept getting these flashbacks and it was basically like you're watching two shows at once. Well, the one thing that I liked about Titans was your present time, but sometimes they had to talk about the development. A character that was a separate episode so that episode was like 99 percent all about something happened previously with that specific character and there was one like hawk and arrow there was one about um there was one about robin i believe there's one about wonder girl Uh, there's one about aqualad and so for me though when you i know you haven't seen the second the second season but one of the characters that i loved in the Arrow universe, that was really hoping would come out in um, the next Justice League um, because we got the tease for it at the end of Justice League and it's been shelved. And that was in the second season of Titans is Deathstroke, as I I really like Deathstroke's character a lot and I like the people who play Deathstroke. Yeah, I love uh, I love Deathstroke and Arrow. Uh, I thought I thought the guy who played him did a great job. And the guy who plays um, it was actually weird because the character who plays in the second season of Titans, his name's um S.A. Morales, who I remember him. He's the one that plays uh, Richie Valens brother in La Bamba. I also remember him in the I think he was like did a couple seasons of NYPD Blue as a as a person in charge of like the precinct back in the in the late nineties. Um. And so when I was seeing some of the things he's played, he also had a, like a comedic role in the probably shore, um, 
probably short movie in the army now with Andy Dick. So when I heard he was being like Deathstroke, and I was like, there's the way that guy could be Deathstroke, but the way he plays Deathstroke is, is actually really, he does a really good job as Deathstroke. And especially like one thing is, as I mentioned, there's the Titans is in this like kind of like a future where Robin and and some of the other characters are older. And then there's also younger characters like Raven. So that's why he has this interesting dynamic. And that's how he kind of plays Deathstroke is as an older Deathstroke, not as like, you know, a young, you know, a young person that you can, you know, that's like 20, 30 years old. You know, he plays an older, wiser Deathstroke, which I think he does a good job with it. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I I can talk, I can talk DC and stuff like this like all day but like uh you know like i said this is, this is a horror podcast and <laughs> not our dc stuff so uh, sorry for anyone listening for for us going off on that but you know it happens sometimes when you're really passionate about stuff you just you can just talk all day about it uh but but yeah to sum all that up uh, get hbo max 15 dollars a month uh hbo max sponsor us so we can let everybody know uh what the code to use for 10 percent off and since there's no news, this fills in the gap of since the news time. Yes. So uh, yes, yes, but but yeah, we won't uh, keep any of our listeners uh, any longer. Like I said before, we're talking about uh, 1996 from dusk till dawn, and uh, with that being said, Carmen hit hit that trailer. Everybody, be cool. You be cool. Somewhere. In the middle of nowhere. Low profile. You understand the meaning of the words low profile? Sure. Two of America's most dangerous criminals have taken hostages. What is this? It's called a punch. I'm going to ask you one question, and all I want is a yes or no answer. Do you want to live through this? Yes. Okay, ramblers. Let's get rambling. One night is all that stands between them and freedom. This is my kind of place. But it's going to be one hell of a night. We might be in trouble. There are a bunch of fucking vampires out there trying to get in here and suck our fucking blood. Now, their only chance is to fight back. From Dust to Dawn came out in uh, came out January seventeenth, nineteen ninety six. It is directed by Robert Rodriguez and is produced by Gianni Nari and Amir Taper. And the screenplay was written by Quentin Tarantino. And uh, this was actually uh, Tarantino's first paid gig uh, as a writer. He he got paid fifteen hundred dollars to write the screenplay for this. Only fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's uh. That's not a lot of money. It's really not. And like, besides writing the screenplay, he also stars in it as one of the Gecko Brothers, alongside George Clooney. And then we also have uh, Juliette Lewis, 
uh, Cheech Marin. <laughs> okay, so Cheech, uh, no, let me say his name. Cheech Marin. Yeah, is a very amazing character in this role because he yeah. plays three different characters. He does. He plays a, um, when we get to he plays a border guard. He plays what I basically determine is almost like the the MC of the bar that they're at, and he also plays a drug dealer. Yeah. So he's in it three different times. And one of the things you'll know, um, for example, the characters of in here, Sama Hayek, as well as Cheech Marin, Danny Trejo. Yep. These yep. three are very um, familiar with Robert Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez, very similar to Quinn Tarantino. Um, they're no coincidence that they're, you know, close friends. They work a lot together. They did Grindhouse together. Yep. Um, they use a lot of they use a lot of the same characters. And like Cheech Marin and Danny Trejo, I they hold the record. Like Danny Trejo, for example, who plays a bartender, was in Desperado, Dust Till Dawn, Spy Kids, all the Spy Kids, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, and then had yep. his own films. Um, yeah, Machete. It uh, um, Machete kills. Yeah. And then Cheech Marin was also in Desperado and from Dust Till Dawn and in Spy Kids and Once Upon a Time in Mexico and Machete. Dude, I so, completely forgot that Cheech was in Spy Kids. Yeah, and then uh, Sama Hayek was also in um, – she was in Once Upon a Time in Mexico and Desperado and yeah. in this movie. And was also in the third Spy Kids movie. So that's you know very similar as you would – see with Quentin Tarantino, they use a lot of the same characters and they develop their rapport, so it's always good to... If you're going to see a Robert Rodriguez film, there's a high, high probability you're going to see either Cheech Marin or Danny Trejo. Yeah. And uh, uh, Juliette Lewis, uh, who plays Kate, uh, she's from Natural Born Killers. And um, I'm trying to remember what other movies that... Because I remember her from other movies. I'm trying to remember what if there was any other horror movies that I remember her from, I know she was, she was one of the, um, how would you say it? She played one of the kids in the, in the vacation series. Yeah. Um, because they, that was like, the, I don't know if it was a revolving joke, but every single vacation movie was a new kid, new son and new daughter. Um, and she was, the, she played Audrey, um, in the Christmas vacation movie. And, um, I seen her in Due Date. I see her in Open Road, Starchy, Starchy, excuse me, Starchy and Hutch. And, you know, she's had a pretty lengthy career as well. Um, and she plays the daughter in this one. Yeah, and uh, she, she she apparently got cast because of uh, her friendship with uh, Tarantino. Because uh, Natural Born Killers was written by Quentin Tarantino. And she, you know, she was in the movie. And uh, I guess uh, uh, Tarantino uh, liked her so much that he suggested her to play Kate. Um, well, that leads us to the next one is we also have um, the father. His name is Jacob. Um, Jacob yeah. Fuller. He's a pastor. He's played by Harvey Keitel, who previously worked with uh, Quinn Tarantino in... Paul Fiction, he played Winston the Wolf. Yep. And and what's awesome about this is like there's a lot of callbacks in this movie to Pulp Fiction and Desperado and all those other movies like that. There's a lot of callbacks to, to those old films like throughout. Yeah, and one of the things about this film 
from uh, Dust Till Dawn. It, it's a very interesting film in the sense of it was technically it was successful at the box office had a nineteen million dollar budget, um, and it made a, a little less than sixty million, which if you account for inflation today had basically had a thirty one million dollar budget and made ninety eight million, so basically made triple its money back. But it's also considered a cult classic. And that was one of the things that, I, you know, we keep talking about one of these days we're going to do a podcast on what's considered a cult is this film technically was successful in the box office, but it seemed to get even more popular over the years, especially as it came out on VHS and for rentals. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and that's one of the reasons why um, this also spun off some not not movie cinema but some direct-to-home direct video releases. It came out with two sequels, um, not with the original brothers. Uh, you will not see George Clooney, Quinn Tarantino, or any of these actors um, in the sense of Juliette Lewis or Harvey Cartel in the second or third one. But it also, when Robert Rodriguez created the El Rey Network, which is now, um, if it hasn't yet, it will be shutting down very soon. It wasn't a successful television network. But they also have the From Dust Till Dawn, um, the series, and yeah. it took that. I actually watched that series when I was, um, I think it's on Netflix. I saw it on Netflix for sure, and I'm wondering if it's still, I'm not sure if it's still on Netflix. But that was a very interesting, because that went a whole lot. It starts off very similar to, like, From Dust Till Dawn, the movie, but then just goes mm-hmm. in some very weird, different directions. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't had a chance to catch the TV series. Uh, I've seen some of the some of the other. Uh, I think I've seen all of the sequels though. Um, there's only 30 episodes. It only lasted three seasons, and each season had 10 episodes. So, um, like I said, I did see it on Netflix. And as I'm saying that, um, to transition from dusk till dawn, if you haven't seen it yet, pause, hit the pause button. You should be able to find this currently as we speak on the um, CBS All Access, if you have that streaming service, which is actually how yeah. I saw it, so that we didn't have to pull out the DVD, as yeah. well as I heard it was also on Pluto, which is a free uh, yeah, streaming on, service. Yeah, it's on Pluto ads. Uh, that's how I watched it. So as of January 10th, it's on both those streaming services, and you heard it from us. Kyle saw it on Pluto. I saw it on CBS All Access. Pluto's free. I'm, I'm assuming it has commercials. Yeah. Um, I saw it on CBS All Access. Um, the movie did not have commercials. Um, I know some, but I have the commercial version. So yeah. That was a pretty good because I did not want to have to go dig it for that DVD. Oh, <laughs> uh, talk about it, it's like you know th- uh, th- this is a really gory movie, and uh, one of the things that uh, Rodriguez was was worried about was getting an NC-17 rating because of all the gore. And blood. So, in order to guarantee that they didn't get that rating, that's why the vampire blood is green instead of red. Oh yes, the little tricks tricks of the trade by the uh, directors and the uh, writers and producers of the film. And I mean, it's smart. I mean, that's one of the things that you can't have so much blood. Okay, well, we're gonna start using some weird ooze that is basically the equivalent of blood. But yeah, it's a this movie also is very interesting because. Um, with the whole makeup and special effects, they have, you know, similar to 
our previous episode, Fright Night and the Lost Boys, some of the vampires just have normal makeup. Well, actually, all the vampires have, you know, prosthetic makeup yeah. similar to those movies. But it also had a lot of um, CGI, CGI. There was a few transitions when they're trans, like Salma Hayek at one point transitions. And there's another vampire that goes to the transition um, where you see essentially it's like computer animation that does that does it for it. Yeah. But what's interesting, though, is you actually see more CGI and more of that um, com- special effects of that nature for the kills instead of, you know, them as being vampires or turning into vampires, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, I'm sure like uh, I'm sure besides CGI, though, I'm sure this had quite a bit of practical effects, too, because one thing we didn't mention was uh, Tom Savini stars in this movie, too, which Tom Savini is you know, probably the the master of horror, you know, you know, horror costumes, makeup, you know, special yeah. effects, everything has his own, his own university. Um, I believe still on shutter, like his documentary about his stuff is still on there. Right. Yeah, I think so. And so he's, I mean, the dude is brilliant. He actually makes some of the props for, um, for example, the masks that he made for, uh, WWE wrestler Bray Wyatt, when he comes a fiend, Tom Savini made that, and actually, you know, you could buy that full mask of his on WWE Shop. Um, and he also started making other masks during the pandemic. For example, we made like half, you know, Jason Voorhees masks for you to wear out in public. That cover, you know, so it's um that dude is is amazing, and his work um. You know his work is is high quality, and you actually, if you want one of those things, one of those masks, you're gonna pay for it. But he does an amazing job out of it, and he stars as a as kind of a infamous character that I'll talk about. One of the interesting things about him, his name is Sex Machine. Yeah, great name, great name. Uh, another, uh, I'll say another one was part of the trend. Um, there's basically you have five main characters. You have um, Seth and Richie Greco, and you have the Fuller family, but you also have, you know, Sex Machine is the next major one. We also have Frost, who's played by Fred Williamson. Yeah. And with Fred Williamson, and the, the first thing I will say is Fred Williamson's name as Frost is never mentioned in the movie. They never say his name, but for some reason, that's his name is Frost. So, yeah. you know, that is that. Um, he's famous for two reasons. He was famous, um, he was in a lot of black exploitation films. And you will see him in those in a number of roles when during that period of time. Um, but he before he got into uh, becoming an actor, he was a former football player. He played in the AFL, and the last team played for was the Kansas City um, Chiefs. And he won. He was a three-time um, All-Star for, in the AFL, and he won an AFL championship with Kansas City. The year before the first Super Bowl, so before the, they had like the NFL and AFL merger, he was he won a, a championship with the Chiefs before the first Super Bowl in '66. So he's been around for quite a while, and um, you know, knock our hardwood, he's still, he's actually still um, alive and kicking to this day. So um, you know, he's kind of similar to um, Jim Brown, who has also had success in football and transitioned to you know being um, an actor in, in movies. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, this movie has a great cast and uh 
what's cool what I love about it is uh how how well flat, how fleshed out the characters uh, are like he, he uh all the all the, every character like even like some of the smaller uh, the smaller ones are, are just are fleshed out really well throughout oh yeah absolutely the two things for me that makes this film is the pacing of it and we'll get and we'll talk about it as well as like it's a character driven film the characters of george clooney and no matter how small of a role which was either you know sex machine or frost or uh even salma hack or or chief marine or danny trejo like the the characters they are they really embrace that role and took it on and you believe that they were that character and they made the movie better and I, that's when for me looking back at this film as i mentioned in um at the end of our last podcast uh, friday night i'm pretty certain this may be the first vampire horror film that i saw as a kid because i can't think of any other ones that that i saw that came that came around at this time it, it, it's either this one or lost boys but i'm pretty sure it's it's from dust till dawn so and the main reason why i remember watching it, it was because uh, i recognized george clooney and that's one of the things as you know being a 90s kid as much as i love 90s you know kid stuff 90s sitcoms were extremely popular you know seinfeld you know cheers or frazier er was extremely popular my parents used to watch er so that's how i recognized george clooney was because of er and um i think that's one of the reasons why i stuck out and just the pacing of the film and the characters was just awesome. And, and honestly, in a lot of ways, this film isn't, it's a horror film, but it's not scary. So this is something like, obviously there is nudity and there is gore and violence, but if you had a teenager and, you know, they're really getting into horror, this is a perfect one to, for a teenager, you know, just uh, obviously, like I said, it, there I, is nudity. I, but, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I would maybe skip past one, one certain scene. Which, you know the uh, you know when they first arrive at the bar, and you know you get the hilarious iconic scene of Cheech. Uh, oh yeah. Out. Well, I mean that's the thing is, it's what, when I say that I know exactly, and we'll talk about we'll get to that in um, when we and we're gonna get into our problems, guys. Where so I'm gonna go through the breakdown. Um, but like I said, it's if you have a teenager, and if you are somebody that talks to your you know teenagers, and I'll give and I'll use myself as an example for me at a young age my parents you know had those conversations about you know sex education and things of that nature and we saw by you know i was 10 years old watching you know south park and all those things that they had in south park and you know as i mentioned the first horror film i saw i was you know four or five years old so if you it just really depends on the level of comfort you have in the sense of is your child mature enough to handle this and when I say child, I mean I'm specifically saying a 13 year old teenager. I think that would be around the appropriate age to see a film like this that has the gore, the nudity, and the the language. Um, but you know, like I said, it, to me it's not it's more over the top than it is uh, scare uh, has any sort of scares because I don't even think it I don't even think it necessarily has jump scares. Like this, I feel like the it all the scares happen like in a transition more than yeah. actual jump scare. Yeah, I don't think there's any jump scares, honestly. Well, you know, Kyle, we we talked about a little bit behind the scenes, and we talked about some of the characters. So let's what? Why don't we get into the film? Yep. Let's let's, so, let's get into it. 
the film starts off at a gas station called Benny's, and we see Texas Ranger uh, McGraw, and that's again uh, Michael. It's played by Michael Michael Parks. I believe Michael Parks has played Earl McGraw in at least three or four Robert Rodriguez's films. He walks in, he's talking to a clerk about his day, what's going on, and then he talks about this robbery that happened in another town over about two um, two brothers that killed four Texas Rangers, um, shot a couple people, took a hostage, and he's basically saying that they're probably running for the border, and if they run for the border, it's going to come right smack dab in Texas Ranger or McGraw's crosshairs. He wants, to bu- he wants to buy a bottle of uh, liquor, but before he does, he has to use a restroom. So when he leaves to use the restroom, the camera pans to the back of the store, and we see Seth Greco, played by George Clooney, has a hostage. And then we see Quinn Tarantino, who plays Seth, who plays Richie, the brother of Seth. And obviously, they're already here in this new town. They get into, they talk to the ranger, excuse me, they talk to the clerk about how not to make no sudden movements, you know, get this guy out here as soon as possible. The one thing we learned very quickly is Richie is, um, he seems to be seeing things, hearing things. He's he's very on edge, and he starts saying that the clerk is making signals. The clerk, as as you see in the film, never makes any signals. He's acting cool, calm, and collected. And after they talk to the clerk, they go back hiding, and right as the Tex Ranger is about to pay for his liquor to leave, Richie shoots him in the back of the head. And then we have um, they start getting an argument between Richie and the clerk. Richie shoots the clerk. The clerk falls down. And then as they're about to leave, Richie and Seth, the clerk gets into the safe. He has a, he's wounded in the shoulder, I believe. Pulls out a gun and shoots Richie right in the hand. After this point, all hell breaks loose, and uh, Richie shoots out the the liquor bottles that are behind the clerk and then um set throws a flaming toilet bowl toilet paper roll at the clerk um and the clerk starts burning on fire and one of the interesting things i found about or funny thing that i saw this is the clerk is burning on fire and gets up and is still shooting at richie and seth and then they return fire to, to kill him yeah yeah i thought that was crazy when he he got up at why he was like literally instead of blazed and just jumps up and starts shooting at him uh my whole my, my entire favorite thing about this entire scene and uh i love how uh, I, I, I love how richie how they were literally just like hey shoot the the bottles behind the clerk and like that that's it. and like they knew like the liquor the liquor falling on them would, would be flame would they could throw the flame and then uh the toilet paper and it would it would catch them on fire i thought that was genius but uh the thing I really liked about this scene that just had me rolling was the fact that the, the clerk during the shootout was yelling, I didn't say help me. <laughs> and like, because, because they kept arguing back and forth, whether or not the clerk said help me or not. Yeah. And that was one of the things that the clerk says, I didn't fucking say anything. And Seth, and at this point, George Clooney's pissed that the character said, he tells him you got about two seconds to live. And then that's when, you know, shoots the bottles out, puts them on fire. Yeah. For me, the other funny part was, as as they're leaving the gas station, Seth is yelling at his brother, didn't I tell you just to go in and grab a map? I told you to get in and grab a map. Didn't I tell you we got to keep a low profile? K- 
killing rangers and killing clerks isn't keeping a low profile. And as he's yelling at him, literally behind them, the gas station, the the convenience store, the the smoke and the fire is building, and you start hearing explosions as it gets into the car and yelling about keeping a low profile. Obviously, they're not keeping a low profile because they completely, yeah. you know, murdered two people and then burned down this gas station. Yeah, the fucking gas station like blows up, <laughs> and they're just that's definitely not low profile. So, and then as they drive away, we see that they um, they have this very interesting view where like the camera pans to the trunk, and then we basically see the equivalent of Superman's X-ray vision into the trunk, and they have a kidnapped bank teller. Yeah. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, this is like the cold opening where it has like the, the title. Oh, look, I love how they've done this cold opening. It had the title. Uh, before that, uh, doesn't Richie show Seth his hand and he's got a hole all the way through his hand where he got shot? Yeah. Um, actually, right right as soon as they drive off from the gas station that blows up is the title card. And then we get yeah. to uh, this and he shows him like literally um, – Richie picks up his hand, it's covered in blood, and then you basically can, you know, see George Clooney's eye through his hand. And then what uh, Richie does is he uses duct tape because, you know, duct tape's good for everything. It's good for you know, keeping things stuck together. Or if you got a bullet hole, you know, can, you know, cover it up. You know, disclaimer, that's a joke. Please do not cover up if you have a bullet hole. You yes. shouldn't have any bullet holes, but if you do, go to the hospital. Do not yeah, use duct tape. If you have a bullet hole in your hand, please go to the hospital. Do not use duct tape. To try and you know fix it. As we uh, fast track, we run into the Fuller family. The Fuller family who are having um, essentially breakfast or lunch at a local diner. The father, as we mentioned, is played by Harvey Cartel. Harvey Keitel, excuse me. He's uh, his name is Jacob. Julia Lewis plays Catherine, also goes by Kate. And then Ernest Lou plays the brother Scott. Yeah, and, and uh, what's interesting about Scott is. Uh, Scott's wearing a a precinct thirteen shirt, and that's a nod to uh to one of T- uh, Tarantino's favorite directors, uh John Carpenter, who who did Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Yes, and with that, that's actually in the title card of From Dusk Till Dawn is the similar font to Assault on Precinct Thirteen, as um as a homage to uh, John Carpenter. Yep. Now, what we learned um, at this diner is that the mother of the children and the wife of Jacob, who is a pastor, has recently passed away. And they're going essentially, you know, spending some time on this vacation. But the pastor is having a crisis of faith that will essentially come into play a little bit later. After we learned this about the characters, both Seth and Richie, the Gecko brothers, they stop at a local motel. Um, and as they stop at a motel, Richie goes to get food, and as he comes, excuse me, Seth goes to get food, and as he comes back, um, as they're eating, and one of the small little tidbits or Easter eggs is that the food he goes and brings back is Big Kahuna Burger, which is a nod to Big Kahuna Burger in Quentin Tarantino's film Pulp Fiction. Yep, I was hoping you'd catch that. Yes, and then when uh, Seth asks where the hostage is, Quinn Tarantino, uh, excuse me, uh, Richie says she's in the room, and Seth's why is she doing in the room? He opens the door, and he's having like these, it's basically equivalent of like a strobe light, you know, strobe light type of effects, where he's seeing 
a dead person, uh, the dead hostage, and he's like losing it, like keeps telling his brother, why, why did you do this? You know, what is wrong with you? This is not what we do. Because I'm a thief. I'm not, you know, I don't kill people unless they have to be killed. I don't rape women. And that's when we find out um, in a, they had, there's a television report and we find out that Seth is not only is a thief, but Richie is a thief as well as a um, sex offender. Yeah. And then we, it, yeah, Richie's a fucking psychopath, and and you, and like Seth is just he's just more of a thief. He, he follows a code and everything, but Richie is the one who really just doesn't give a, a fuck. So as this as this all this is going down, the Fuller family decides to stop at a motel for the night as they're driving a monster RV because uh, the father Jacob wants to sleep in a good, honest to good bed, as he says. And as they stop in the motel, um, Seth stops right in front of him as a pedestrian, and he sees them. And they essentially, you could tell that they come up with a plan, Seth and Richie, to use the Fuller family as a way to get into Mexico because the uh, geckos are on the way to Mexico. They get safe passage by a um, a drug cart, a drug dealer or drug lord named Carlos, and. They need to find a way to cross the border because obviously between everything that's happened at the bank and what happened at the the ga- convenience store gas station, that they have a lot of heat coming down on them. And what happens is um, essentially Seth, it's kind of funny, Richie goes and he asks for an ice bucket from an ice bucket from Jacob. And as he gets the ice bucket, then they basically come in and that's when we find out even more like how psycho and just I'm assuming he's has legit issues because as the daughter comes in, she went to go to the pool as she comes in. Richie has like this hallucination that basically that uh, the daughter, um, Catherine asks to have sex with Richie, which doesn't happen, but Richie hallucinates it. Yeah, she she asked him to perform oral sex on her, and it's like clear as day is like this guy's hallucinating. So as they jump into the car, excuse me, as they jump into the RV um, to get across the border, they get stopped at the border, and this is where we run into the border guard version of Cheech Marin, and they basically come in into the uh, the RV to see what's going on because they hear some noises, and it's funny because. Catherine is in the toilet, essentially like sitting down on the toilet, you know, sitting there like being hiding. And Seth and Richie are in the shower, and Richie's mouthing off to Seth, and Smith literally just does like a Lion King monkey back fist with the gun right into Richie's face to knock him unconscious, so he because he wouldn't shut up. That for me, that was one of the, the funny parts of the of the film. Just like, damn, like, you know, I love this guy. I love my brother, but he won't shut up. And I'm going to have to punch him and knock him out because he's going to get his caught if he keeps talking. Oh, yeah. They're able to finally cross. They are able to finally get across the border and they stop at a. I don't know if it's a strip club. I don't know if it's a dive bar. I don't know if it's a bar. They serve food because there's the sign says they have carnitas and tacos. Um. But it's this establishment called the Twitty the Titty Twister, which yep. is kind of funny, is on the 
um, I heard in the commercials, in order to obviously has to be censored, they actually changed it to where it said the Kitty Twister, and yeah. they had like some stuff blurred out. Yeah, that type blurred out all the boobs on the on the uh, on the uh, the front of it and everything. So they plan to go in there, Seth and Richie, or go into there because they're waiting for Carlos to meet them at at this uh, establishment. And as they're about to enter, you hear this. Um, we run into the second incarnation of Teach Martin, and I guess the character's name is Chet. And he goes off on this weird, you know, basically uh, sales pitch about why you should come to our place. It's a very verbally <laughs> graphic sales pitch. Yeah, we won't repeat the sales pitch, but uh, if you've never seen this movie, you've got to see this scene because once you see this, you're never going to forget it. Yes, and um, the funny thing for me is is two things: the sales pitch as having you know essentially the equivalent of toilet humor is hilarious, but with it is he has a microphone and he's trying to do a sales like basically a sales pitch outside the establishment to get people to come in. The bar is in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing around. There's nothing around yeah. the area. So I don't know who he's selling it to because my assumption is is that if you're stopping. You're stopping there because you know you're already going to go in. Um, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, it's like, why is he telling these people to come in? They're clearly there for a reason. So as um, as they're buried to enter, and the reason why they're using this establishment is because it's, the establishment is open from dusk till dawn. Dun, 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 which is <laughs> the name <laughs> of our film. The, they said the name. They said the name. Um, as they bury enter... Chet stops Seth, and Seth essentially breaks Chet's arm. And then Richie, as he's already entered the the establishment, comes back, and uh, Chet is on the ground. You know, Richie just straight up like soccer kicks him like four times, and he yeah. starts saying like, "Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Thank you." And then the or something to that effect, and then he walks yeah, in. He kicks the shit out of him. Oh, bad because then like. Chet's trying to get up, and then he just hits he hits the pavement. As they um, as they enter into the bar, they go to the bar, and we run into uh, Danny Trejo's character in this film, who they call him Razor Charlie. And this, these characters have names that they're not even mentioned. I never remembered. I seen this film probably the equivalent. Uh, I mean, at least probably fifteen to twenty times since nineteen ninety six, and I never remember him being called Razor Charlie. Yeah, um, I don't I don't think his name's ever said. He asked for whiskey. Then we find out uh, that when he asks for whiskey, uh, Razor Charlie tells Seth that he can't be here, that this is a private bar only for bikers and truckers. And then uh, as they're ready to get into a fight with um, another, there's a bouncer as well that's there, a very big guy, that Jacob says that he's a truck driver because you need a truck license to be able to drive an RV. So they let him in, they go to the bar, uh, they go sit down. Yeah. At this point of the film, though, we are literally at we're 55 minutes into a 102 minute movie and yeah. we've seen zero vampires. Yep. I mean, at this point and beforehand, you just think you're watching just a kidnapping movie or, you know, just just something along the lines of that, of a heist film or something. But uh, what I love about this is like it, it's weird. It's like. Once they entered into Mexico, it seems like they started bonding with each other because, like, 
because uh, like when they were going into Mexico, uh, it's like a, 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 a Seth was just giving Jacob directions, like as if as if the, he was uh, you know riding in there with them and you know wasn't kidnapped. And then uh, when they get in the bar, when Jacob does the whole thing where he like pretty much uh, saved them from being kicked out of the bar. It's like you know he didn't have to do that, and and, and he did that, and then not, like this scene like we're about to talk about, like they're all just sitting there drinking together, and it seems like they're actually bonding with these with this family. Yeah, it's weird. I think you know one thing is like Jacob, obviously as we find out, Seth doesn't kill anybody unless he has to kill somebody. I think Jacob is like trying to get this long because as soon as they get to the next day or they meet with this guy Carlos, that he's able to get his family and go back across the border. Um, the funny thing though, is that as they sit at the table, he literally has five, he has a whole bottle of whiskey and he starts drinking with Catherine and then eventually, um, the brother Scott gets a drink and Scott is in this bar and all the women are topless in this bar and he's looking at them cause he's like 16, 17 years old. Can't, there's no way he's, there's no way he's 18. He's at, at maximum he's 17. I yeah, think he's 16. I, I, I didn't even think he was 17 or 16. He looks younger than that. Um, but as he's looking at the as he's looking at the girls, as we and we've already established that Richie is a sex offender and there's something serious wrong with them. He leans over and tells Scott, "Hey, if there's a girl that you like, let me know. I'll get you a lap dance." It's just like you just kidnapped them, yeah. took them across the border, threatened to kill them, and now you're gonna buy this kid a lap dance. Yeah, oh, he, and the part I I forgot to mention when they stormed into the room to get you know as to to basically kidnap them, um, Richie puts a, a the loaded gun into Scott's mouth. So like we went from him basically threatening to kill him by putting a gun in his mouth to him buying him a lap dance. Yeah, it's it's a really like I said that they it's like as soon as they entered Mexico they started bonding together. It was weird. But the one thing I said like I said we're halfway through we haven't seen a vampire but the but everything you don't feel like you're missing vampires because you feel like everything to me I feel like everything happens for a reason. Yeah. You get the you find out kind of background about Richie and Seth, you find out a little bit of background about the Fuller family, which are the five most you know, for really are the five most important characters of this film. Yeah. Um it's but, weird because it's like you know, we you keep talking about either there's like where at this point there's no vampires. There's not a single even like hint like up to here that there's fucking vampires that this movie is about vampires like this honestly just seems like a full-on kidnapping uh, heist film and honestly like if i'm watching this for the first time and like you know i don't know this is what this is about uh, i'm still enjoying this for for what it is even if there is no vampires like you know i'm not watching like, oh man i hope there's vampires here i want to see what's going to happen next and i'm completely fine if there was no vampires and I, I i was enjoying it up to this point anyway well this is where things take a turn because um Reza charlie gets up on stage and he introduces santanico pandemonio and santanico yep. pandemonio is played by salma hayek Mm. and beautiful beautiful she, woman she comes out wearing which i believe is a two-piece velvet bikini and she has a snake and she does this very interesting exotic dance and a little yeah. bit of background that i want to give about this is um sama hayek is definitely afraid of snakes 
And I was about to say that. <laughs> so essentially, when she was reading the script, she knew this was going to um, this was going to be a problem. And the director of Rodriguez essentially conned her and telling her that, well, if you don't take this, this is according to you know rumors. If you don't take this role, you know Madonna is gonna is already up, and she says she's ready to take it. So he basically threatened her, saying that Madonna was going to take this part. Um, from her and then so Salma Hayek agreed to it and spent two months in therapy to overcome her fear of snakes yep and which Salma Hayek if you're listening which I highly doubt you are me and you are uh we share the same uh fear I, I've, I, I'm deathly terrified of snakes of any kind I don't care how small they are or if they're not uh poisonous or what I hate snakes um, there's the other interesting thing where this kind of potentially makes sense was according to the original script was that the the character of Santanico was originally called Blonde Death. Um, they decided to go Quintertino decided to go with a with Salma Hayek, a, Lat, a Latina Mexicana star, which is why they changed his name. Um, and this was after seeing her in Desperado. Um, that he changed he changed it from Blonde Death to that he wanted to go with Samuel Hayek. So they had they had changed the name because obviously Samuel Hayek isn't blonde. Um, the name, though, is derived from a 1975 uh, Mexican horror film that is called Santanico Pandemonio. And that Tarantino had saw this on the shelves of video store that he once worked at. So um, that's a little bit of background information on this. As she does this dance, Santanico, and really captures everybody's imagination all the men in the bar's imagination um and she even starts flirting with with richie um at this point what happens though is that chet who got his ass kicked by the greco brothers when they enter the bar comes in and with razor charlie and the big bouncer and basically says that these two guys kicked my ass and seth pulls out a gun and Razor Charlie stabs Richie right into his hand, the hand that he has a bullet hole in, with his giant knife. And then uh, Seth um, shoots the, this big bouncer guy, and Richie takes the knife out of his hand and stabs Razor Charlie. And then basically killing both of them. And then takes the knife and stabs the knife into the table. Both Seth and Richie pull their guns out on everybody, tells everybody to be cool. If you don't, then basically you're going to be dead like these two guys. At this point is when we notice that something is going to happen. And what happens is that the first thing we see is either Scott or Jacob sees that there's a green blood coming from the knife that was stabbed into uh, Richie's hand. And then he's used to stab Razor Charlie. And then the second thing we see is that Salma Hayek's eyes get really big um, looking at Richie's hand. And all of a sudden, uh, Santanico transforms into a vampire and attacks Richie and bites him. And finally, vampires. At this point, all hell breaks loose. All the dancers, all the workers turn into vampires. Um, they start killing all the patrons. Um, Seth is fighting back. Um, 
the guy we find out his name is Frost, player Fred Williamson starts fighting back. Sex Machine fights back, and the interesting thing was we Sex Machine is in this is in this bar. He has two things with him. He has a whip that he uses to take off a vampire's head. Also in his um, crotch area, he has this like it's a leather pad, and the leather pad flaps down, and he has a essentially a revolver in his junk area that has two different chambers and he uses this before and a tidbit of information about this i guess for some reason this was a debate because people thought this was a horrible idea and the reason why is said that if somebody were to fire a revolver in a crotch area basically be punching them in the groin over and over again but the interview that was with James Rope that Tom Savini justified the recoil issue by stating that during his time in the Army, when he, that he was in the Vietnam War, they tested the recoil of an M16 by placing it on various parts of the human body, including the chin and the crotch, with no injury whatsoever. It could be belt-fed, one-cylinder hole bullets, and the other holes of spent shells. It resembles a revolver. It's just cosmetic look. Um, also, the codependent... The, the codependence piece itself might be reinforced and padded to reduce the, the recoil seen as they would need room for the firing pin and trigger mechanism, which the same film had shown is fired by a hand pump. I don't know. I don't think I want anything that fires close to my, you know, you know as we learned in wrestling, our family jewels. I don't know about you, though, Kyle. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather not. Um, at this, like as I mentioned, they all the women dancers, all the staff here, Razor Charlie, the bouncers, even the band, they all turn to vampires. And this is one thing, as I mentioned, is what do you think of the of the effects in this film, like the of the actual prosthetics that they use for the makeup, but oh, also, I love, oh, I love the, it. Yeah, there's also the CGI of like as I mentioned. To the that uh, Santaniuco had like a transition to a vampire, like we saw with like Razor, uh, Razor Charlie, as well as the dancers. They just we just the next time we saw them, they had they're already a full vampire. Yeah, it, it's weird. Like uh, Selma Hayek's vampire transformation was weird because like she she like completely changed, and everybody else just kind of uh, it basically. It's basically like how you see on like Lost Boys and the and 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 Buffy the Vampire Slayer where th- their faces just change, where Selma Hayek just like completely changed. You know that actually brings up one of the interesting things I was going to ask you. With this film though, that's different than I've seen like pretty much in, a, in most vampire films is that they all changed looking a lot different. So Selma Hayek almost had like a snake, like a snakeskin head. Um, Razor Charlie looked like a um, he, he looked like almost like a like a gorilla because he had like this you know he had like no neck like his head got bigger as a vampire and then we saw even the dancers like the dancers bodies like all of them transformed into like different types of bodies um, we you know another somebody else they turned they almost looked like almost like a rodent looked like um what did you think of like they all had like various different looks and they weren't all like uniform? Yeah, yeah, I liked it, uh, especially the the, the the way all of them looked. Uh, I love that the the fucking band 
is yeah, that was the other interesting thing too, because like the playing, bat, they turn to vampires, yeah, they had human bodies. Yeah, they, they, play, they're really playing like a human body part get guitar. <laughs> so after they kill, um, there's two types of death. Essentially, all the vampires killed everybody in the bar, with the exception of uh, Frost, Sex Machine, the Fuller family, and um, Seth. But then all the vampires essentially are killed off. At this point, though, um, they said, now we're going to now let's kill that band. And then this was an interesting thing where the band said the lines, fuck you, good night. And then, like the band blew up. Yeah, I love I love how the band just like just fuck, just literally just says, oh, goodbye and just blows up. Like, why the fuck did they blow up? Um, another interesting thing, interesting tidbit is uh, Seth ends up killing Santanico because um as Santanico was on, uh, basically pinned him to the ground, he loads his gun and shoots, which is the equivalent of a chandelier, and it falls on top of Santanico and essentially, you know, punctures, you know, stakes her in the heart and kills her. Yeah. And that was the other thing about it is that the vampires, they essentially like melt away. Um, they all catch, they either melt away or catch on fire and melt away. Yeah. Um, one of the things about interesting, the reason I bring this up is that when Seth is on the ground, we saw dominoes and I saw playing cards. One of the interesting things I saw was I saw Loteria cards. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but in um, Hispanic cultures, we have this game called Loteria. It's essentially, it's a bingo card that's played with a deck of cards. Um, the bingo cards has like different images and the deck of cards represents each image. And I had, I seen this movie before I never saw it because it wasn't even like, it's not something that's really noticeable and honestly when i was watching it over again taking notes there was no reason for me to notice it either but i just kind of popped my head up and i saw this yellow card next to seth's head with a red thing on it and i look closely and i notice it's a shrimp and that's one of the cards in the in the loteria game is a shrimp and that's spanish it's a camarón and there was another card that represent um it's called los haras which is um arrows I thought that was kind of interesting because I'm like, okay, I can understand a bar having dominoes and dice and even a deck of cards. I don't know why they have the equivalent of bingo in this bar. It was just, it was just weird. I'm like, did they just go like, hey, go get some props, and they just went to like a local place and just grab some random stuff? Yeah, yeah, they had to have <laughs> done that. That was, I don't know, it was just weird to me. Um. After they're dead, they've agreed that they all now what they need to do is they need to essentially we start noticing that the people that were killed by the vampires, the bar patrons, the bikers, the truckers are now starting to turn into vampires. So now they're all responsible for staking these truckers and bikers in the heart. And when Catherine goes to stake a um, one of the bikers, truck drivers, he pops up, scares her, um, and she kind of jumps and then stabs him. But when he when she does that, she takes the tension away from Sex Machine, and then Sex Machine is then bitten by one of the vampire, one of the uh, bikers. And after he's bitten, he kind of hides it, and then he starts turning and doesn't tell anybody. And after he turns, um, he bites Frost, and then Frost um, throws him through essentially. It's almost like a boarded-up window. And when he does that, it lets in 
these bats that have been surrounding the outside bar and they come in and not everybody um everybody has to essentially not frost and sex machine is a vampire and sex machine also ends up biting jacob so now seth Catherine and scott have to go running behind a um in the back of this back door and jacob is actually behind the bar um and we find out later he's behind behind the bar so now everybody's a vampire that's left which was frost and sex machine and jacob is going to eventually turn to a vampire and now they let in which looks like dozens and dozens of vampire bats into the bar and chases them into this back room yeah i love that uh this movie follows basic vampire myth, uh, basic vampire mythos and, and tropes, because uh, you know, you know, we'll find out later that the bats are actually other vampires, and then stakes work, uh, crosses work, and uh, holy water and everything. Yeah, and this is where um, Jacob is able to get to the to this back room. And he tells them that we only have essentially 30 minutes to an hour before he turns or the vamp or the vampire a break through the back door. And um, Seth basically tells them that he needs, you know, a, you know, God loving devil killing, you know, pasture on their side. And so they have to mount up to go, you know, kill these vampires. And one of the things that when they agree to this, Jacob notices there's a bunch of boxes and they find eventually come to the conclusion that they've been killing off bikers and truckers for years and then taking shipments and then either storing them or selling them or something. So they break in um, to the boxes to see what they use to fight with. Some of the things they find I was interesting, like some 99 cent store stuff. Like for example, I saw like these cheap plastic glasses that you get that you would use for like kids' birthday parties. Um, they had Mexican luchador toys. But they also had squirt guns, like super soakers, and they had condoms, which they fill up with. Um, it's either water, but they also look like they had bottles of liquor in the back. And yeah. then Jacob blesses it to turn them into basically holy water bombs. Yeah. They also find um, Catherine finds her a weapon for herself, which was a crossbow. Yeah, she just finds the fucking crossbow. Like, some of these weapons, I'm like, where the hell did they find? Like, how did these people just have this shipment there? Well, it's not only just the, it's not only just a crossbow, but the crossbow is inside of a casket case. Yeah. Yeah, which I thought was weird because like these are vampires, so why are they being obvious about it? (laughs) Well, then to take this to another direction, I don't want to say it's it's worse or less or or better more to the side is then Seth finds his weapon which essentially looks like a some a cheap jackhammer that he shoves his massive stake um a piece of wood into and then sharpens the tip of it to make it like a um a jackhammer stake yeah that that was fucking weird <laughs> so as to all this happens as they're ready to get into which is the final battle we're into like the last 15 minutes of the movie as they're going to the final battle. And as I mentioned, Jacob is bit, so he's eventually going to turn into, so that only leaves um, the only ones who are not a vampire is Seth, uh, Catherine, and Scott. 
Yeah. They come it, out, they're kicking ass. They're kicking everybody's ass. And remember, um, uh, remember Jacob makes uh, Kate and Scott – uh, promise that that, that 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 they'll kill him uh, when he turns. Yes, um, that's one of the things is that he before they leave he he says he's either gonna shoot himself in the head or they have to promise that that they are gonna kill him once he turns to a vampire. Yeah, I thought, so, was, I thought it was hilarious because I thought it was pretty great how he uh, when he did this because he also like uh, his kids were trying to and hey you know don't do that uh, he'll commit suicide. And, and, you know, he, he's supposed to be tr- trying to, he's like, you know, battle of his faith to like, you know, obviously committing suicide would be, is, you know, according to, 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 to the religion is a sin. And he said that uh, it's not suicide because he's already dead. Yes, he says it's not suicide if already dead. It's, uh, um, it's pretty funny. It, I mean, I shouldn't say it's funny, but it's funny. Um, as they go out, like I said, they start kicking all the vampires' ass. Um, Jacob ends up, Jacob ends up co- confronting Frost, and then Seth ends up uh, confronting Sex Machine, and uh, Scott's like hitting everybody with Super Soaker and hitting them with the the holy water condom bombs, which is very interesting dynamic if you think about holy water and condoms. Yeah, um, and then. You know, Catherine's using her crossbow to stake vampires. Well, what happens yeah, is and that she suddenly like she's really good with that crossbow. She's just getting headshots left and right. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, you would think she's a marksman with it. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. I liked uh, J- uh, Jacob's weapon, that makeshift cross shotgun. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. You know, he uses basically like it's like a billy club. Um, I think a lot of bars have them, which is basically it's, it's um, like a shorter, smaller version of a baseball bat, but it's used to basically like you can quickly swing it around. Um, when my dad actually, um, when he had like his home bar, somebody gifted him one of those um, that had a a ball opener at the top of it. And it's not, I mean, like it's half the size of a normal baseball bat. Um, but it, like I said, it's used to like if somebody gets out of line, just slap it on the table like really quick. Um, and get tell them to get their shit in order, or else they're gonna be, you know, you're gonna use that bat upside their head. So they score up. Uh, the two things happens is that Seth takes off Sex Machine's head with his own whip, and when he does that, Sex Machine turns into this weird. I don't like. Some people say it was a dog. I thought it looked like a rat to me. Like, literally, he takes his head off, and then another head comes out, and then all of a sudden, like, these hands and feet come out. This, to me, was the weird, like, you know, obviously, this is, like, fantasy horror, but, like, this, to me, is, like, the weirdest part of the film is this how, this human, you know, vampire gets his head taken off, grows another head, and then grows, you know, four feet and turns into, like I said, they said it was a dog. I thought it was a rat. I don't know what you thought it was. Yeah, it... I don't know. It, it 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 looked like a rat to me. Yeah, this was like this was like the one thing in the film that going back, like they should have changed the the look the look of this, like this because it just didn't look good. Like it, it really, in, in a lot of ways, it actually made no sense because he turns into this giant, you know, creature, and then he gets on top of Seth, and then Seth, you know, basically pushes him up. 
and Catherine just shoots him with the with the crossbow and kills him. So it didn't even do anything the fact that he he transformed into the dog or rat or whatever it was. Um, at the same time this is happening, Jacob kills Frost by sticking the shotgun through him, and then as he sticks it in, sticks the shotguns in him, he actually uses the shotgun to kill the vampires. But then as he picks it up, uh, he basically like, you know pulls it up and takes out his heart, and then uh, Frost is killed. After he kills Frost, though, he instantly turns into a vampire and then bites Scott. And then as Scott promised, he's going to, you know, take out his dad. And he does it by hitting him with one of these holy water bombs that takes off half of his head. And then he shoots him with the gun um, that kills that kills him. But before he's able to do that, he bites Scott and then... Um, after he kills them, then Scott is taken is like overran by vampires, and the vampires are going to town on Scott, and he tells Kate to kill him, and when Kate you know finally says that she's gonna kill him and does it, this is another part of the film because she she shoots Scott, and then Scott essentially blows up and takes five vampires with him. I'm trying to like, why did Scott blow up? <laughs> I don't like, and that's the thing. I don't. It, it didn't make sense because. Those are the two different parts that like those kind of lost because it seemed that certain vampires like Frost turned into a vampire really quickly, but then Jacob took longer, and I don't know why Scott blew up because like there was nothing on him that would cause him to blow up. Um, because even if he was, even if like she shot like a condom and those holy water bombs and the water exploded everywhere and then you know got on the vampires and caused them to blow up, it wouldn't blow up Scott. So. And he wouldn't have turned into a vampire like within 30 seconds compared to like how everybody else did, or you know, because everybody like was seemed slower. It was just very weird this death scene. Um, at this point though, there was only Seth and Kate are the last two survivors, and they basically you know go back to back to each other. And um, as the vampires get closer, they try to you know hit them and shoot them, and they're down to the last few bullets. But then. Um, sunlight comes through now it's officially morning and sunlight starting to come through the the boards and it is kind of protecting them and Seth tells um captain to shoot more holes in and as right as he does you know keeping vampires away all of a sudden we hear a noise and it's carlos is finally here and Seth tells him to basically kick the door in and as they kick the door in um Lights come through and it ricochets off the disco ball and then essentially hits all the vampires and kills all the vampires. And I have the timestamp at 98 minutes. All the vampires are over and Seth gets into it with Carlos. Seth goes up to Carlos and hits him. And he's like, goes, what did you hit me for? He says, like, have you ever been here before? He goes, no. He goes, do you know anything about this place? He goes, that's just a local bar. He goes, it's good. Another one. You said you want to be in nowhere. And he tells him, and to me, this is one of the funniest parts of the film and it's the end of the film essentially though um he goes well let me tell you my brother is dead her her entire family are dead and he goes and it's your fault and carlos says so what were they psychos and seth looks yeah. at him and says do they look like they were psychos is that what they look like he goes they were vampires psychos do not explode when sunlight hits them i don't give a fuck how crazy they are <laughs> it's to me, this is the funniest, you know, the funniest three lines of the film. Yeah, I love that. I love that line. It's fucking great. Oh, uh, I think well, that that part 
and uh, I think I accidentally uh, skipped over it. Uh, Jacob's uh, speech to, to the Gecko brothers before all hell breaks loose. Whenever they're uh, they're they're trying to drink, and uh, he tells them that uh, he tells Seth Seth that uh, <laughs> uh, um, he he doesn't realize how lucky he is because uh, he uh, how lucky he is because he has the whole state of Texas and everybody looking for him, and he won. Like he got over in Mexico, and he he won now. He can't get him. He he got away with it. Oh yeah, that was like literally right before um they when they started were drinking at the in yeah. the bar. Um, as, at this point they everybody drives off. So Seth goes with Carlos, um, and then Juliet gets into her RV. She kind of asks Seth if she wants, you know, excuse me, Catherine, played by Juliet Lewis, says, you know, the Seth and company. Seth basically kind of shoes her off and says, you know, go home. And she jumps into the RV to go back, which I'm assuming back across the border. And as the camera pans out, though, the last thing we see is the titty twister is the top of a of a Aztec pyramid, uh, Aztec temple pyramid. That's buried under essentially truck and vehicle wreckage, and it's like you literally see just piles of like wreckage of either um, bikes or diesel trucks. So you can imagine that you know, and especially as I mentioned in the boxes and then the back room, that they had been like doing this for a while. You know, getting bikers and truckers in and feeding on them and taking their stuff and then tossing their shit out back so that way nobody sees it. And that's the ending of the film at 102 minutes. Yeah, I love, uh, yeah, I love the ending. How like it zooms out, and we know we you see that the bar is actually the top of an Aztec. I guess I guess I guess it's like an Aztec temple. Uh, then I assume like there's a, a shit ton of vampire, more vampires mm-hmm. there, and then like all of the cars are just kind of at the bottom where they've just basically been getting these people coming in and they're taking their cars and just letting fall off of, on, on the other side. It just looks like a giant uh, junkyard, but man, one of the things to really take away from the ending is I feel so fucking bad for Kate. Like, like she wanted to go with Seth and, you know, he tells her, you know, no, which, you know, he could just been tell her no because he knows that, you know, she doesn't need to be, go with him you know it's better for her to go off by herself but you know she gets an rv and she drives off she's driving she's having to drive off back home by herself her whole family is dead <laughs> and it's just her now i mean he take dad he gave her he gave her he gave her uh, a good bit of money but but still man he probably gave her like somewhere in the vicinity of like thirty thousand dollars but you think that taking a step further is you know as we're going to the weeds on this and um, wrap up with trivia is she, she has to go back home now and her mother is dead. Her father is dead and her brother is dead. But how is she going to explain the death of her father and her mother? It's, uh, the father and the son and her brother, like, you know, that they're just gone. So that's yeah. interesting to me. Yeah. Like, it's just, <laughs> like, I just like I just feel so bad for her, man, because she just she like her whole family's dead now. Um, some of the thing I have a little bit of uh, trivia to go after. Um, 
the actual the where most of the half of this film the titty twister set was built in a desert in california and actually had some delays because due to a fire on the set as well as um, some desert uh, windstorms it caused issues with filming the name of the film uh, from dust till dawn is taken from signs found around drive-ins the signs indicate the length of the shows which ran from dust till dawn the movie's full references to midnight movies and films which were often intended for teenagers to watch late at night from their cars. Uh, as I mentioned, George Clooney, before he was casted, other actors were considered for the role of Seth Gecko, including Antonio Banderas, who had recently was uh, in Desperado, Steve Buscemi, Michael Madison, and Tim Roth, who is familiar with uh, Quentin Tarantino in his um, Reservoir Dogs. John Volta, who was in Pulp Fiction, Christopher Walken, Jeff Goldblum, James Woods, and Robert De Niro. All of them had passed on them because of scheduling conflicts. The only one, only one to outright decline the, the role of John Travol- was John Travolta, who wasn't interested in doing a vampire film. However, um, the one of the interesting tidbit is because of John Travolta being in Pulp Fiction, uh, which was directed by Quentin Tarantino, she, uh, Quentin Tarantino met Kelly Preston, who was John Travolta's wife, and Kelly Preston uh, was the newscaster who gave the news report of the Gecko Brothers being missing, and she got that by meeting uh, Quentin Tarantino on the set of Pulp Fiction. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty uh, that. Quentin Tarantino was actually originally set to direct the movie, but decided not to, so he could focus more on the screenplay of writing as well as the role that he was going to play of Richard Gecko. Um, and then he wrote the screenplay of Pulp Fiction uh, after he won an Oscar. Excuse me, he wrote the screenplay of From Dust Till Dawn after he won an Oscar for Pulp Fiction. And then, um, as we mentioned, Kelly Preston, who played the reporter. Uh, she was actually interviewing an FBI agent who was played by John Saxton. John Saxton um, is mostly famous, as we know, from playing um, the the father and the cop in A Nightmare on Elm Street. And this is a little bit of sad news. Both Kelly Preston and John Saxton passed away in July of 2020, two weeks apart. Um, John Saxton had passed away. Um, later in the month of July, um, he was dealing with some, he was older, I believe he was in his 80s, and he had like, I believe, dementia or Alzheimer's, so having a lot of health issues. Kelly Preston um, died at, tragically due to uh, cancer that was kept secret, and unfortunately, um, she had passed away. And so, yeah, we had lost both of, both of those members in uh, July 2020. That's... that's... That's awful to hear. But, you know, like, as I mentioned, the one the good, if to leave, go on a better note, as I mentioned, this film, like, with George Clooney being casted as Seth, and we meant, and we saw Danny Trejo, as well as, um, in this, this, this film was really kind of helped push, elevate George Clooney to the next level, because he started taking on a lot of big roles after this. Like, this was by far his biggest movie role to date. Because uh, before this it was ER, but you know this is really what I'm. I don't want to put all of it like this was the one, but after this he started getting the bigger movie roles um, that quickly came to make him the megastar that he is today. 
And it's always great, like as I mentioned, with Robert Rodriguez, Quint Tarantino, they always use people they're familiar with, which is, you know, I think it's always cool. You know, I like, I've I've always been, loyalty is important to me. So take of that what you will. Um, So I don't know if it's Tarantino Rodriguez loyal to those actors and actresses or those actors and actresses are loyal to Tarantino and um, Robert Rodriguez. And as I said that, it actually is funny because George Clooney actually has a cameo in one of the Spy Kids films, as I now that I think about it. Uh, I'm trying to figure out which one. Uh, I, I've seen all of them. I think it's the first one, and he plays um, he plays like the guy who's in charge, and you only see him on the video screen, and it's like at the very end of the film where he's just like, he comes out and says that he has a role... Um, he has a job for the kids. And oh. he has like his, you can't see his eyes. And all of a sudden, like he takes, it's like he has a black bar. And you think it's like the computer screen, hides his identity. And he just takes it off. It's like a, the black bar was a glasses or something. Oh, okay. Okay. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, it was, um, but as I mentioned, you know, these, these characters, they, they work closely together, you know, with Rodriguez and Tarantino, and you'll see them in other films of theirs. And I just like, to me, it's one of the coolest things they get tickled by. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, uh, let's get into some final thoughts. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, I really enjoyed this film. Uh, I don't know where I'd put it in like a top five uh, of, of vampire movies of all time, but uh, it's up there for me. It, uh, it, even if it didn't have as many vampires uh like as much vampire stuff in it as I wanted it to be. Uh, I love the character development throughout. Uh, throughout the characters, the, all the characters were great. It, it's a it's a wonderful cast. Even just the side characters. Uh, I I really like the story. Uh, there's a lot of blood and gore in this in this, which you know is always a plus for me. Uh, and it's just a fun film overall. And like you said, it had a really good pacing. Uh, uh, throughout, even for it, even for it, you know, not to start really getting into what it's really about until uh, an hour in, and uh, I really appreciate that they still kept to the vampire mythos and tropes that we've all grown grown to know. Uh, that's one thing I really love in in, in vampire movies. Uh, if I'm watching a vampire movie, uh, I don't mind if they do some stuff on their own, but you know, I, I'd still like for people to stick to what we know as the, the classic mythos and tropes and uh, a lot that they did this. And I appreciate it. Appreciate it for that. So uh, I'm going to give this poor vampire bats out of five. And I guess we will, let's hear what you think, JR. Um, you know, for me, I'm very big into characters and sometimes you know you can have a great story you know you can have great dialogue but if you don't have the the character the actors and actresses to carry that character and really buy into the role it's it's gonna be very hard um to make it that movie successful in my opinion and with george clooney and quinn tarantino playing the brothers and then the the family of the fullers with harvey keitel and julia lewis and ernest Liu. Then even the other, you know, everybody plays minor roles, whether it was Salma Hayek at Santonico, San Pandemonium, or 
Danny Trejo as Razor Charlie or Cheech playing three different characters, and then you have Tom Savini, Sex Machine, and Fred Williamson as Frost. They bought. I mean, you believe that they could be that character. Like you, you could think George Clooney was like this, you know, badass, you know, bank robber, and didn't take shit from anybody. You could think that you know, Frost played by Fred, Fred Williamson was this former, you know, as he mentioned in the film, that he was a former Vietnam vet and that he's a badass, you know, biker. You you think that, you know, Danny Trejo was, a, you know, kind of like this, you know, big, you know, scary bartender at some dive somewhere in Mexico. And I think that to me is what really makes the film, like, really cool and interesting. Um, you know, it doesn't have a lot of the vampire part, but the parts it does, I think, is very, you know, has a lot of gore and the battles they had was interesting and it gives everybody, it creates like that, um, that rising climax where it's like, Oh, they're okay. And then, Oh, oh shit. There's more vampires. And it goes down and it's like, oh, okay, they're fine. Oh no. They get bit, you know, it goes up and down. And I thought it was, a, they did a great job telling the story of the background and then getting them to the next day. For me, I would probably give it um, the same four out of five. There are a few things, as I mentioned, that I would, you know, when I look back at a film, could you make it better? There's just a few things, as I mentioned, like I wouldn't have done the weird dog rodent that was Sex Machine when he turned into a vampire. Um, I wouldn't had like the whole thing where it was weird, like where Scott like blew up. You know, those are a couple of things that I would have done to change it. And that's why, you know, when I give films um, like a five out of five, like when I go back looking at it, as I did for Halloween and then going back thinking about for Nightmare Before Christmas, like, would you change anything in those two films? I wouldn't. With this one, as I mean, I love this film because I think it's just, a, it's a fun film to watch. You can sit down and you can find enjoyment out of it. And, um, but there were a few things I would change, which is why I'd give it a four out of five. Yeah. Uh, I like everything. Uh, I like all your reasonings uh, behind that. I couldn't agree more with everything. Uh, uh, I, I also would, if I could change anything, it'd probably be the same things you said. The, uh, you know, some of the weird things were just people blew up for really no fucking reason. And uh, I, I'd also say uh, I would find a way to introduce the vampires more earlier on than an hour in. But uh, that's really the only gripe. So uh, other than that, though, it's just fantastic. I mean, of course, this fantastic was written by you know Tarantino, so of course it's fantastic. But, uh, yeah, uh, well, uh, we hope everyone has enjoyed this episode as uh, much as me and Jr. has had fun talking about it and watching this movie and revisiting it. Uh, we just want to thank our all of our listeners for uh, supporting us uh, last year when we started and. Uh, supporting us this year and we hope that you'll continue to do that and uh just continue to stick out with us and uh enjoy our podcast as much as as much fun as we have recording it each week and uh thank you to everybody all of our supporters and especially our editor uh carmen childers who just you know does an amazing job of making us sound good and uh, you can check him out at carmen childers com. uh hire him for uh hire him to do your podcast or uh do any av tech services uh for your wrestling show concerts or whatever whenever everything can open back up 
and uh, or just buy some merch from him uh, off his website. Uh, I'm sure he'd, he'd appreciate it. But yeah, uh, just thank everybody for listening to us. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about, like I said, uh, for January, we're doing uh, All Vampires. We'll be talking about Bram Stoker's Dracula, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, and uh, we may have a special guest on that episode as well. So uh, I, I, I'm excited. To, I'm excited to, to get into that one. I don't know if I've. Uh, it's been a while since since I've seen that movie too because it's all. Uh, it's gonna be fun to revisit that this week. Yeah, you know, for me, it's also it's been a while as well. Um, I have seen it before. I like Gary Oldman as an actor. You know, Keanu Reeves in there. And, um, I'm trying to remember um, who plays Mina in there. I want to say it's. I want to say it's a Judd, but the film a lot for Bram Stoker's Dracula. A lot of people think it's probably um, it's in their top five, um, nearing their number one. Uh, right, excuse me, right on a writer who's played Mina Harker. Um, from what I'm looking at, it's considered one of the top three in the last 30, 40 years of vampire films. It's it's to me it's an interesting film though because it's. First of all, it's directed by Francis Ford Coppola, who is, to me, directed the greatest film of all time, The Godfather, in my opinion. And so I have a lot of respect for Francis Ford Coppola. Um, but it's it's a story. It's a huge story film. It's one of those ones where you have to follow along, you know, similar to, like, Interview with the Vampire. And so it's not, it's one of those ones where there's films they call, like, popcorn film, like, From Dust to Dawn is a popcorn film. There's ones where you're going to sit down and you really have to like invest yourself into it. And this is one of the ones where I really have to invest myself into um, because while I think it is a good film, it's, it's easy to lose um, interest in it if you're not paying attention. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a movie that you, you really have to pay attention to. Like it's uh you can't just turn it on and, uh, and you uh, kind of uh, uh, divert your attention off of somewhere else and then go back to the movie is one you really have to watch with your full attention. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk about it the next week. Uh, yeah, uh, so like I said, just once again, just thank you everybody for uh, joining us and and supporting us the, from last year and, and this year, and we just hope you'll continue on. And uh, we hope everyone has a, a great uh a great day and night, afternoon, whatever it is you're listening to this, and just continues to stay safe out there uh, during all these uh, during this pandemic. You know, don't forget to wear your mask anywhere you go. You know, I know it's 2021 now, but just because it's a new year doesn't mean coronavirus has disappeared. It's still very much a real uh, real threat, and uh, you know, it, it'll be it's up to us to 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 wear a mask and social distance and uh and everything and stay home if you're sick and you know, so we can try and uh get past this and we can all you know, get back to going watching movies and everything and or doing anything else that we love i know i i can't wait to go to a concert or a wrestling event if, as soon as there's one around when everything opens up but uh yeah uh, uh just uh thank everybody for listening to us and uh check out uh Next week for Bram Stoker's Dracula. With that being said, uh, we uh, must uh, bid you adieu. Goodbye. Good night. Stay creepy. Bang.